Welcome to Trollblack TV's weekly podcast where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, we're featuring Will Gadd, the former three-times gold medalist for the Winter X Games, who recently made history by ice climbing Niagara Falls. Will Gadd, or should I say, Captain Adventure, welcome to our show. Hey, Dan, good you. Right on, man. I wasn't sure whether to address you as Captain Adventure. <laughs> Dude, I'm, you're Captain Adventure. I'm, I'm, a, I'm late to that title. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm looking at all the stuff that you've been doing lately, and I have to say, man, what you did in Niagara Falls was pretty damn cool. Yeah, thanks. It's been it's been fun, but you've uh, you've also had a good run at it, man. So we've had some fun in life for sure, eh? <laughs> you know, I've had my life has been so wonderful, man. I look back on it, I feel totally blessed. Yeah, I told, well, you've done some uh, you've done some pretty entertaining entertaining things for sure. Eh? Like I'm, I'm actually on Wikipedia right now. I, mean, I know your name and everything, but I'm like, all right, what's going on here? And I look over this thing. It's like, yeah, you've done, you've done some shit, as we say in the trade. So right on. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when you have that mutual respect. Yeah, dude, fully. What's, so what's, what's going on? What can we do here? Yeah, well, you know, I'm just curious, you know, about this whole Niagara Falls, you know, because to me, you know, that's such an iconic landmark, and, and nearly every person on the planet knows about Niagara Falls and you know Nick Willenda did his stunt when he walked across I'm just uh curious how did you get permission to do that um well that's a long story <laughs> but uh I, I first contacted the Canadian and the U.S. side maybe 10 years ago and asked if they would ever consider giving a permit to, to climb the falls. And, and the response on both sides was, you know, this, you have no hope of getting a permit and the thing never freezes and, and you're an idiot. <laughs> That's kind of the, the short version of it. And, um, so yeah, I, and then I started, um, kind of tipping away at it. And, and one thing led to another, we got really into the spray ice climbing at Helmkin Falls in BC and, and spray ice is, is, exactly what it sounds like it's just ice that freezes onto the rock overhanging rock walls and and you can climb it and it was kind of a new world and did some of that in iceland and got all fired up on it and realized that niagara falls wouldn't have to actually totally freeze that you could you could climb whatever the spray and mist was it stuck to the walls and if enough of it froze up that it, it would it would work and and then it got very bureaucratic after that <laughs> Yeah. Tell us about that. What happened? Well, the steepest part of the falls and the coolest part of the falls is on Looker's left side of, of Horseshoe at Niagara. It's 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 basically plunges right down to the bottom. It's incredibly steep, and, and that makes it safer for various reasons. And so it became obvious the U.S. side was kind of the, the side to approach to see if we could get a permit. Tried to do that, and they said no, and... um started working with a couple of guys at Red Bull who are really savvy about getting permits and, and working with people and ended up going through the governor of New York's um, office and basically selling him on the fact that we did know what we were doing. This wasn't just a stunt that was 50-50 likely to go horribly wrong and bring a tremendous amount of bad press to the area. And once he saw that, yeah, this is this is what we do, and we have a tremendous amount of experience with spray ice climbing as a, as a team. I had a lot of the people there that have been involved in that. 
um, he got it, and he, he was an athlete, and uh, he's like, yeah, this is cool. And, <laughs> and from there on forward, it went pretty well. The, the final hurdle we really had to go through was with the, the state parks police there. And I didn't know why they were so resistant to the idea initially. Um, I just thought they were, you know, nothing new. A lot of people think nothing new should kind of ever be done, and I honestly thought that's where the police were at. But it turns out that they deal with some really heavy things there. They deal with um, a lot of suicides, a lot of people who are making really bad decisions right on the lip of the falls in terms of their mm. personal safety. And then they've got to go in and do the rescues. And, and these rescues are not fun. Eh? These are often body recoveries, and uh, it, it leaves a mark on somebody. Eh? It's it's difficult. And they did not want to sort of sanction something that was going to end up in, in that in that way for them. And you got to respect that. And, um, what I ended up doing was just meeting with them and listening to their concerns. And, and once I understood kind of how they were going at it and, and what their experience of life was like, it made it a lot easier to kind of understand where we're, where we're all coming from and ended up getting them some better equipment so that they could move around on ice at the base of the falls and in that environment with a greater margin of safety. And once they kind of had it figured out how they, could possibly rescue me if something went wrong and had better equipment to, to work with, um, they, they got on side and, um, I've stayed friends with these guys. They're just, they're just great guys out there. <laughs> you know, they're hard. They're, they deal with a hard job in life, but a little bit of mutual respect developed, I think there. And, uh, I understood they weren't just trying to shut things down and, and what, what they really needed. And yeah, I was out there last year for a project and, and swung by there and just great people. And I'm going to continue doing some training with them but net result of that was finally after more than a year's worth of work and a lot of flights out to buffalo new york i had a permit to to climb niagara falls that is so cool man do you think that do you think that helped pave the way for you a little bit i think what nick did you know opened up some people's eyes to the positive effects of, of publicity unfortunately a lot of the publicity that niagara's received historically has been you know, somebody Negative. goes over the falls in a barrel, yeah, and, and doesn't make it, or somebody jumps in, and and um, with the Willenda story, I mean, they're like, wow, this really put us on the map, and, and the same thing ended up happening with my project as well. I was out there about a year ago and ended up getting the keys to the city. <laughs> you know, they were so stoked on uh, just the globally positive press that they, they got out of it, and they had a banner year actually last winter with film productions there, and on and attribute some of that to the great job that the people involved in, in my project did with video and um, you know just pumping materials out and, and showing the world exactly how cool Niagara Falls is. I think they'll be a little more open in the future, but it's also they don't want negative publicity. They don't want Niagara Falls for good reasons. You know, it's a, they want something positive to come out of it. So I think if anybody else wants to do something there, then focusing on the potential positive will help a lot. Yeah, no, it, this similar thing happens, like trying to get permission to climb a building, for example. Uh, I went yeah, I mean, that. how do you do that? <laughs> the same, like, same kind of thing, stuff. actually. Um, I climbed the CN Tower in Toronto, and yeah. for, fortunately, they contacted me. It was uh, their 10th anniversary, and two Canadian guys tried climbing it and went about halfway. And I think their mistake was they were aiding their way up with all this gear and everything else. And right. for whatever reason, they backed off about halfway up and came back down and said it was impossible. But rumor was they were going to come back. So they contacted me. 
and said, would you be interested? And lo and behold, uh, I get there and I'm looking at him going, you know, that looks like a free climb to me. So I free climbed the first side in 58 minutes and rappelled down and ran to the other side and did the other side in an hour and two minutes. And that, <laughs> it, it was, it, but you know, they had the same thing going on. There was a lot of concern for them about negative publicity and they were very concerned about safety. And so we had to have all that in place in the event that I got in trouble and they need someone to get to me. Of course, the outside of the CN Tower was kind of hard to get to me, though. So yeah. they weren't exactly sure. And so the fact that I was, at the time, <clears throat> the only person in the world that was doing this, and I had built a reputation for climbing all these buildings, um, they felt safe in allowing me to do it. It's kind of like with, with you with all your past history. If you were an unknown, there's no way in heck they would have given you permission to do this. No, no, it was it was definitely a, uh, a combination of things. Um, I mean, it's funny, we could turn this interview around. It's like I've battled on some of the routes you've done, like fallen arches. I tried that in like 87 and got exactly nowhere on it. <laughs> like I didn't even know that was your route. I'm looking at it here going, wow, that's your route. That's really cool. I was 84. It's like, you know, that's amazing. That, was, that, was, that had to be one of the hardest routes in North America in 84. Huh? It, it, it was. Well, uh, Steve Hung did it first in two pitches to give him credit because Steve Hong yeah. um, <clears throat> did an incredible job setting it up, but he set it up in two pitches. And I remember going there, actually, not to do it as one pitch, but just to repeat his rocks. I heard it was one of the hardest climbs in the country. And I looked at it and I thought, God, this really should be just one long pitch. And But, you know, back then, how we climbed then versus now, every time you fell back then, you had to yeah. lower right to the ground, pull the rope, start over again. <laughs> You know, so the whole process, I couldn't work the moves out. And it wasn't like you, um, you know, here now you could just hang there and rest and then work the moves. And no one would think anything of it. Back then, if you tried doing that, you had people watching. And mm. they, you know, you'd get criticized for being a hangdogger. And I didn't want yeah, to have that. Right God, that was such a ridiculous era. <laughs> but um, it, it was a cool route when it finally when it finally went as one pitch. It was just like I couldn't believe it finally went. It was like wow, I, I didn't even know how to rate it. You know, I thought well maybe I'll just add one letter grade to it. If it was 13B, two pitches, maybe it's a 13C. I don't know. <laughs> I really yeah. don't know how to. <laughs> so that's, that's cool though. I mean that's a uh, it's you know you're definitely best known. But I remember the some of the pictures. I think I even published some of those pictures way back in the day of. of you're doing different things on the rock and, and towers and everything. Well, I mean, you've still been active even recently. Like, you climbed this thing in Chile, in, in the, the telephonic building in Chile, like, in, what, two two years ago or something like that, right? Two years, yeah. See, that was kind of a, a really cool story because, you know, 30 years ago, and this is going way back before, a lot of the kids were born. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I'm <laughs> I know. I had climbed the uh, Sears Tower. It was the world's tallest building at the time. And I climbed it wearing a Spider-Man suit, and that's a long story. It was it was it was a joke. Yeah. The reason why I wore the suit. Um, but at the end of it, you know, I'm in jail. They were the district attorney and the prosecutor and everyone else were all convinced that Stan Lee, the creator of Spider-Man, um, had put me up to doing it because Marvel Comics at the time was on the verge of going bankrupt. So they said <laughs> Stan, Stan Lee had to have put him up. This is one of his stunts. Of course, Stanley, he gets woken up 
and he's, you know, being grilled by the district attorney, wants to know if he had anything to do with it. When they finally realized that he had nothing to do with it, they let me go. So skip ahead 30 years, he invites me to climb a building for him for his TV show called um, Stanley's Superhumans. And so that was just uh-huh. a real That's cool great. full circle from going forward. We had nothing to do with it to him actually inviting me to climb. But we had to go through the same kind of thing that you did with Magna Falls. Insurance, I can only imagine what the insurance policy you had to have for that. Uh, many, many layers of that same, same kind of thing. But now mm-hmm. you're, 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 I'm looking, you're my future, right? You're, you're 10 years or a little bit, like 12 years older than me. Are, are you, you mm-hmm. are you still actively climbing or interested in oh, yeah. or, or Oh yeah. God, I, cool. I have been active. I've never skipped a day. Um, you know, like I've always, <laughs> to me, it's a lifestyle. I love climbing. I live to climb. It's in my blood. And I have nothing but admiration and respect for all the climbers that I see out there like you. And I just see what you guys are doing and I just go, wow, bravo. And I just, I'm silently clapping on the side. And I, and that's the whole thing with Triple Black was the thought was, wouldn't it be cool to have a site that just really just focused on all these different amazing athletes and just, you know, put a spotlight on them and, and give them their day and then give them a profile page that, really rivals Wikipedia because Wikipedia is kind of cool, but it's kind of dry. <laughs> I thought it'd be nice to be able to have it color and, you know, more <laughs> photos and videos. And maybe if they're really into it, do a podcast for them. And that's how it started. <laughs> so yeah, that's what cool. I'm doing right now. Are you still living out in, uh, out in California or California? Loving it. Yeah. You're California. Yeah. It's hard to, yeah. I, I spent a, Summer in Palo Alto and love the place. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's a startup capital of the world. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it's in it's sort of in the air there, right? You got to start something up to to live there almost. <laughs> well, you know that that's <laughs> it. You know, we had to figure it out. It's like, okay, if we're going to do something like this, and eventually, you know, get funded so that we can actually make this into a, a TV production, um, how do we start off? Where do we start it? You know, because I was in Lake Tahoe. And even though that's a really cool, beautiful sporting area in itself, in terms of being around like-minded people who could really get what you're trying to do in terms of a potential um, business enterprise, um, mm-hmm. no one would get it. Um, but coming down here, everyone that we're talking to, you know, most of our friends are from Google and stuff like that, they're all like, dude, this, you're on to something, man. This is, this is something that could become really big. And we're going, yeah, that that could be cool. You know, right now we're just starting off. We just want to have fun. We just want to really um, just get to know all the athletes. And uh, and that's where it's at because I love extreme sports. And I look back on it and back during my early days, and I just go, wow, we were really, really ahead of our time. We had no idea that um, extreme sports would take off to where it is now. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, who, who would ever guess? Eh? Like, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing to see the. Yeah, that, that, it, yeah, it's great. Well, I mean, like the first, I remember we always thought it would go big with like, and you were involved obviously in the first um, snowbird comp and everything. Like, this is going to go big. And then it never really did. And now it has. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at that. It's pretty neat to see, isn't it? It's so cool, man. I mean, like, I remember after I'd climbed a, a bunch of buildings, and this is like in 82, 83, many, many years ago. 
I was doing a convention in Chicago and Arnold Schwarzenegger was there and I had this, there was this crack machine that I created that was like 64 feet long. It was mostly a roof. And I was doing it for time. Every hour on the hour, I would do it for time. And there'd be a thousand people all standing there cheering me on and they'd count down. And, and I would always tell them at the end, I'd say, um, mark my word, the day's going to come when there's going to be climbing competitions all over the world colleges competing against each other it'll probably eventually be in the in the olympics you wouldn't believe how much shit i got for that i was practically labeled the antichrist i was like they couldn't no one could believe one one there's not going to be you know climbing walls climbing competitions over my dead body you know (laughs) they weren't too uh open to it and so when jeff when jeff lowe heard about it he was all over it. He thought uh, that was the future, and so did Dick Bass, and that's how, how the snowboard competition came into play. Um, Jeff said, uh, if you build the wall, I'll put together, uh, get Dick Bass on board, and Dick Bass had connections with CBS Sports, and next thing you know, we have our first international sport climbing competition. And did, you, did you actually build that wall? Was that your company yeah. that built that wall? Yeah, no, I yeah, cause I remember start, those holds and stuff. What was the name of that company again? Uh, Sport Climbing Systems. Still have yeah, the name. Yeah, I remember was, that. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I was like, I had. Um, <laughs> this is so funny. I mean, to give you a little history here, I was making the climbing holds out of um, clay and sprinkling sand on it and building these little clay dams around it and pouring, you know, dark TV rubber onto it and making molds that way, and so. And we were trying to figure out, well, how are we going to get the holes onto the wall? It's like, okay, well, let's just bolt them onto the wall. And so we had to figure out yeah. how to make the panels so that the bolt sleeves were in it. And so there was thousands and thousands of bolt sleeves that, you know, when you look at the, the actual wall, it was a oh, dude, quite yeah. a bit. It was a big project. It was a big project. That was an epic project. I remember those holds. I think I still have a couple of them somewhere. I, I lost a lot of skin on your holds over the years. No, they, they, really they weren't there. <laughs> He was a friend of I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it was great. I did matter. Well, they, they were cool because I remember the circular, I think those were yours, the circular ones with like four pockets in them. You could rotate them. And I, I spent a lot of time training on those holes. Those were pretty cool. Oh, that's that's so awesome to hear that. That's so awesome. Was, uh, yeah, I had, I had like a wall I built my apartment in, in way back in the day. And um, somehow I scavenged some of those holes. I might have stolen them from the snowbird wall. Don't tell anybody. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, right on. Well, it's neat to it's neat talking with you, going back and looking at some of this stuff. I mean, we lived some of the same era. From you know, I was ten years behind you, but living that same era, so that's pretty cool. Oh, but you were the uh, the young guns coming right up behind me, and I saw you guys coming like a freight train. And they wanted uh, me to they wanted me to compete. And I'm looking at all the young guys coming up, and I knew Patrick Ellinger was competing, and I knew that uh, JB Turbeau was competing. I knew Ron Kalk was competing. I'm going. I, you know, and I'm like, I'm not even going to make it into the top three. There's no way in heck. These guys, I've climbed with them. They're all better than me. And then there was all these young guys that I knew were coming up like you. And I'm just going, screw it up. This is a perfect time for me to uh, step aside and be the commentator. <laughs> so, <laughs> the commentator's a guaranteed paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, yeah. I mean, some could say that was the cowardly way of uh, exiting, but I kind of looked at it, it was the more the the more intelligent, smart way of exiting. 
Yeah, I know. Well, there's there's a lot to be said for getting paid at the end of the day, too. You know, we all tried to make it through that era, making money all like, you know, climbing. We all did crazy and different stuff to make it make ends meet during that era. So a commentator job, oh, I'm really? sure. Would've... It was nearly <laughs> impossible to make a living back then as a climber. Yeah. You know, yeah. Red Bull didn't exist. Not that exi- I mean, there's no way. I mean, I did the same kind of thing. The CN near the same near the CN Tower. I did a, a gig where Tony and Nero and I were climbing up and down this wall and falling off of it every hour on the hour. And like that's that's the kind of stuff we we scavenged for sure. And you know, what? I still do stuff like that. To be honest, I still scavenge to make a living occasionally. It's uh, it's part of the game, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of that, um, when you did Niagara Falls, was that a pretty good payday for you? You know, it's interesting. Like, I, I get a retainer from Red Bull, which is which is great, but it's not dependent on any one project, and none of my deals with my sponsors are, are dependent on any one project or even really metrics for for media and stuff. I've I've always kept those things separate because um, I I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to feel like I'm under some kind of um, pressure to to do something specific for money. So believe it or not, I got absolutely zero dollars directly from climbing Niagara. There was no paycheck from Red Bull, none from any of my sponsors. I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to do it and, and they helped me through the permitting process and were tremendously helpful, but there was no, no bump in my retainer, nothing from that. It was, I just wanted to do it because it was the coolest thing I could see. So it's helped me in other ways. You know, I've gotten a lot of speaking jobs out of it and, um, Certainly, my you know my contracts with certainly help secure contracts with um, sponsors and other relationships that that depend on media and so on. But yeah, there's no direct paycheck in that man. That that was I did it because I really wanted to do it, and if there'd never been a dollar off of it, I wouldn't care because it was the coolest thing I could ever see doing. That is so cool, man. That is so cool. That's you know that's what I love about athletes that are in sports like climbing. Most of the climbers I know, you know, they put themselves in harm's way you can say you know there's a lot yeah. of danger involved and there's no paycheck you know yeah. they're, they're doing they're doing it purely for the love of it and even my last climb that i did for uh stan lee uh, two years ago down in chile um that, that wasn't a paycheck that was huh. for me that was you know people say oh you must have gotten paid a lot of money no i think they gave me something like 1250 something like that it was some ridiculously low money and it was just kind of a union type thing and it was, I did it more because one, I knew it would be my last building climb. Um, mm. And two, I wanted it to come full circle with Stanley, just to do something with this guy. I mean, he's 93 That's years old. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, he was actually the one that inspired us to do Triple Black. And he said to me, he said, Dan, you know, it's like, you're, you're one of the forefathers of extreme sports, you know. There's, you know, there's been, sure, there's been a few people before you, like, uh, Houdini, and, you know, we can, we can start rattling off names here. But in terms of actually pushing the sport, you're, you're definitely one of them that should be out there promoting other athletes. And mm-hmm. at the time I had thought of Triple Black, and I thought, God, that's kind of a cool name because it kind of plays off of skiing and snowboarding, you know, in your mountains and those black diamond routes. And then some mountains have double black. But when I was in Chamonix, we were doing some of the most extreme stuff there. I, I thought, you know, they got to come up with a different rating for this. This is this should be triple black. And someone goes, dude, that's a cool name. And I actually registered way back in 2000. And I wasn't sure how I was going to use that name. But And all of a sudden, when Stan Lee tells me, 
you know, you're sharing this with me. I'm like, a light bulb goes off in my head because that's the name of what we're going to call it, Triple Black. So That makes totally sense. So you never know when you do something like Nagna Falls, you know, you, you got this captain adventure, where it could go, <laughs> you know, it's like, you've got so many stories to share, man. I mean, like you, you've uh, set world records for the longest paragliding um, distance, was it 200 and something miles? Yeah, I did um, set it twice, actually. The first one was like 190, and then the next one was 263 miles, 423 yeah. k, something like that. So, yeah, pretty good. And we're going Dude, out huge. in a week. We're going to go try that. It was fun. It was it was like 11 hours of chasing thermals and hawks over Texas. It was pretty cool. Um, we're going out. I mean, we're going out in a month, less than a month, to try and do the same thing here in, here in um, the flats of Canada, using the long daylight hours and, and high lapse rate and stuff that's really conducive to ripping thermals. We're in dust devils, so we're going to go out there and go fly far in Canada. So lots left to do there yet. Isn't there quite a bit of danger involved in that? Yeah, there is. All all these things are risky, you know, for sure. They're, uh, but, I, you know, I'm not wired the same way as like a lot of people. I need pretty high-intensity things to to feel alive and, and be functional. And over the years, I've kind of recognized that. And I try and do things as as safely as I can, and um, build systems and and ideas within the teams that I work with that, that lead to safe outcomes. And if there's one thing I'm proud of in in my life, it's that nobody on any one of my trips has been seriously hurt. I mean, whether it's a filming trip or a personal trip. And uh, yeah, I mean, the idea is to come back at the end of the day. But these things are dangerous, and, and having that in your mind is not a negative. That's just like that's reality. And if you want to come home at the end of the day, you better be operating with the idea that what you're doing is potentially lethal. Ever weigh on your mind and, you know, in terms of like when you're getting ready to do something like that, does it ever come up for you like concerns about your dangers that you may be facing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I'm looking at it doing something that I think is hazardous, then I spend a lot of time thinking negatively. All right, what can go wrong? And if that goes wrong, how am I going to deal with it? I spend hours of almost OCD kind of um, running scenarios and trying to figure out how things are going to work and, and why. And it's it's not a positive space. It's very much a, a carefully um, carefully negative space. It's not, we're going to do this and it's going to be great. You know, that's, that's that doesn't lead to confidence. What leads to confidence is examining everything that's going to go wrong that you can think of and talking to people about it and working the idea through and until you really understand it. And then even then, things can go wrong. But if you've developed the competence over the years and, and vetted the idea carefully, then then I think it's reasonable to, to push forward. And at that moment, when I go on any of this stuff, I'm not worried anymore. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm careful. I'm switched on in a mindful state. But I've put the work in to be there. And, uh, and feel good about it. And, and I'm excited to do what I want to do. My overwhelming feeling at the start of Niagara Falls was it's time to go. <laughs> you know, I get to do what mm-hmm. I've spent thousands of hours working on, thinking about now it is time to go. And, and that's a, you drop all the, drop all the sort of barriers in your brain and, and switch on and go. Do you have a particular technique you use to get yourself into that state? Um, over the years, I've I've developed a bunch of different ways to get into 
different performance states for different sports. The, my my good performance state for paragliding is not the same as as it is for kayaking or climbing competitions or serious alpine routes. You, you've got to figure out how your mind works and and how it performs well, and and then speed it in the, in the way to get it to that place. And that's, you know, I work with some athletes and, and do some coaching, both physical and mental. And it's not the same for everybody at all. It, it mm-hmm. looks very different. Um, for me, I do well with really high levels of stimulation. That switches my brain on and gets me there. Whereas other people need to settle down and, and get into a much calmer space. But over the years, I've, I've definitely spent a lot of time sitting in bathrooms before big competitions or events or, or serious things that I'm going to do. And figuring out why I'm there and what I'm going to do. And then when I walk out to, to do it, if I'm in a good place, my, my mind is clear and at the appropriate level of excitation for what I'm going to do. And then I, and then I do it. And depending on what it is, I've had to back down. You know, if I'm in the mountains and trying to climb a big alpine route and I do not feel tuned into the environment and things aren't going my way, um, then I bail and, and I run away an awful lot. You know, I'm I'm very good at running away. It's not, it's not cowardice to to run no, away. No, that's it's smart, man. You know, because self preservation. Yeah, and it's your gut intuition oftentimes is the only little radar that you have that's letting you know that something bad may be happening. And if you don't yeah, listen to that, that's when it's gonna happen. Yeah, you you gotta you gotta listen to it. I mean one of the rules I've got a few, like a lot of the stuff that I do is very much team based. You know, it's a climbing team or I'm working with a film team or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I run a pretty flat. There's, I'm not, I'm not in charge. Everybody knows what they're going to do and then we go and do it. But there's a couple of rules and, and one of them is that anybody should stop what's going on at any time. If they see anything that's not working right or they just don't feel good about it, things need to stop right then or right there until we get it figured out. And, uh, and that goes for everybody on the team, whether they're, you know, I, I had a situation in Nepal a few years ago where one of the one of the guys we were there trying to climb this big face, and one of the guys who was a local um, and helping us out, he was basically washing dishes, and um, he was like, "Hey, you know, it's it's snowed a lot, and I live here, and I've seen that thing rip out of this gully on the side that you're not even thinking about. Like, have you thought about that?" And we're like, "No." <laughs> so we sat there later that afternoon, the whole thing ripped, and. If we hadn't had that very open, we want to know what's going on attitude, you know, we might have been killed. So a few things like that. I mean, there's really basic tools that you can use in, in environments to stay safer. But, you know, you've done a lot of dangerous things, too. I'm sure you got your plan in your head about how you how you. Oh, my God. Point. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, you touched on something about visualizing. You know, you want to be a positive person. I mean, obviously, yeah. you have to be. Um, yeah. But at the very same time, you got to be realistic and you got to think of every single possible scenario that could happen that you don't want to have happen. You know, for me, um, when I was climbing the Sears Tower, for example, um, you know, I, I was going up with a pair of suction cups and skyhooks. And I had to come up with a plan of what if I have problems with my suction cups? So I had the skyhooks. Sky and if I hadn't thought of those scenarios, I wouldn't be here today because it ended up that my suction cups are popping off in the 63rd floor when I was trying to escape the window washing machine. And if I hadn't had the skyhooks, I would have fallen to my death. So Yeah, your negative thinking is what saved you there, for sure. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, what's going to go wrong? And 
I mean, that's an awesome example of that. I, I might steal that because it's, it's so good. I mean, that's the, the everybody's into the positive power of positive thinking, and I think that's great for things like getting a date. But to actually yeah, survive exactly. in really <laughs> rad shit, you got to think negatively. <laughs> yeah, you know, some people say, oh, it was that negative thought that you had. You were visualizing that happening is what, is what made it happen. I would argue against that and say no. Um, no. One, you know, yes, you don't want to have those kind of thoughts when you're actually doing it. You don't want to visualize yourself falling to your death. But at the same time, you have to be realistic. <laughs> what happens if all of a sudden something rips like that? Did was done in Nepal for you? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's I, I love this because it's a um, I sort of joke about this, but it's like there's this intersection of competence and confidence, and and you want to have the those two sliders um, in in relatively the same the same zone. You know, YouTube is full of people who had very high confidence levels, very low confidence levels. Hold my beer mm-hmm. and watch this. And then you're going to be on YouTube for doing something stupid. But the the really cool stuff is when you've got high competence and, and high and justified high high confidence and you go for it. Especially if you want to live to a nice, ripe old age and still be able to uh, enjoy your sport and family. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. You know, when you're doing Niagara Falls, how would you rate that in terms of difficulty? It's it's in terms of sheer technical difficulty, it's your standard water ice six plus or whatever grade you want to use for that kind of thing. Um, throw somebody who has some good experience in ice climbing on a top rope, and there's probably a fair number of people who are going to end up at the top of that. I don't think it's that insanely difficult. What is difficult is to go into that environment and figure out how to read it and set up a line in such a way that it's it, you can climb it safely and uh and have a high level of of confidence that you're you're going to pull it off and and not just fall off and become the wrong the wrong side of the statistics sheet you know it's a mm-hmm. that's where it's hard and, and it, it i i felt like it took everything i learned about ice climbing in more than 30 years of doing it to uh to do that climb with a with a reasonable margin, and I feel like in general I had a pretty good margin on that climb. But you know, was all it all kinds hard, of weird was, was it hard to protect? Yeah, it was really hard to protect. I had to develop these um, black diamond, and I built these weird skyhook things that you could, we could pound into the ice, and this sort of like like giant um, specter ice pitons with wings on the sides, and we could pound that into the soft spray ice, and, and I felt like that was decent protection, but. The disclaimer that, that came from the BD on those is pretty funny. It was basically like, look, we all agree that this is really, really prototype. Nobody's ever even tried one of these things. So if, if it goes wrong, you know, we're happy to have helped you out. But hope it goes right. It was a really funny disclaimer. But uh, so, yeah, a lot of untried technology. But again, it's like, how am I going to get good protection in ice that that is forming from spray? Like I was literally getting pounded by Niagara Falls right on my head during that climate times and, and what, how soft is that ice from the water? And it's, um, it's just a lot of, a lot of factors going on there. Were you ever afraid that one section would just break away? Yeah, because I've seen that happen in other spray ice environments. What happens is the, the ice gets loaded up with new ice and it can't hold its bond to the ice underneath it and it rips out. And, uh, mm-hmm. you can have, you can lose big pieces. We've seen apartment building size pieces blow out at Helmkin Falls in British Columbia. So again, looking at it and 
you know, <laughs> looking at it and using all the experience we've developed and then also being aware of this particular challenges. For example, if they stop generating power at Niagara Falls for any reason, you know, they, they offload it to another facility, the water level can jump about two feet instantly. Oh my God. And that's not a problem that you really face too many other places. So I had to get in touch with the power stations and figure out, okay, are you guys planning to do anything wacky today? And if so, could you please let us know? Because I can't have another 5,000 CFS of water coming over on my head and also on all the people in that environment that I'm, I'm working with. There's, you know, there's filmers, there's rescue people. We had a lot of people in a, in a pretty hazardous place. Oh, yeah. And, you get, and then you get your Blair at the base there. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if something broke away, uh, you know, I would hate to be the Blair down below. Yeah, and we actually, the Blair was my partner, Sarah, and we moved her up um, into this little cave about a third of the way up the falls just for that reason. So if the water went surged dramatically or a big piece of it broke off, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't get her. And there's kind of a funny story behind that because the permit said very specifically, only Will Gad shall ever climb Niagara Falls full stop and don't anybody else ever think about it. And uh, at the end of the climb, you know, one of the things I wanted to do is leave absolutely nothing there, just no trace of my passage whatsoever. I felt like that was really important. So there's no new bolts, no even for the camera rigging, everything else. There's none of that. It was all all removable gear of one kind or another, which is a, a pretty good challenge for a filming project like that. But anyhow, at the end of the day, I was at the top of the falls, having I climbed it a few times actually for photos and video and so on. And I'm at the top of the falls and, and uh, one of the, I was like, well, the best thing to do here would be if Sarah could second it, you know, that we could do it together. And the, the, uh, I sort of asked one of the head New York state guys and he was like, ah, yeah, give it a go. <laughs> so give it, it a go. go. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. So, you know, speaking of that, what, what do you have planned? Well, the next thing I'm going to do is go and do this flying project out on the plains of Saskatchewan, which is kind of the Midwestern, Midwestern side of Canada. You could look at it that way and uh, fly really far there. That's the that's the immediate goal, and um, I'm putting a lot of effort into that and see where that takes us. And then I've got a trip back to Greenland uh, this fall to do some neat things there with a television project. And what, what I'm trying to do now is aha, top secret, but it's going to be cool. Top secret. <laughs> <laughs> we got to Oh, you can tell me. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. But uh, yeah, well, hopefully this, people will listen to this and have some fun with it. But the um, what I'm trying to do now is use some of the skills that I've developed over the years with with flying and and kayaking and various forms of climbing, and use that to access places and and help understand some of the some of the developing science that is otherwise inaccessible. So I'm doing this project in Greenland around that. I did one in Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago. I'm going to do another one here locally, and then I've got another one on the brew in, in Australia as well. So keep keep at these and, um, yeah, try and keep doing interesting. It's funny, this friend of mine who makes these kind of they're, – they're pretty low budget, but awesome films. And I are going to do a neat one um, that's kind of like that or – Working on one right now that'll be a, a lot of fun doing. Uh, he makes kids' movies normally, but these, these, these are awesome flicks. We're going to get out and do a neat one like that involving ice climbing and going to swim out of the ice onto the or out of the water and climb this ice climb and then paraglide away. So, yeah, this, I mean, the life is endlessly interesting and cool. So. And I just got one last question, and then it's um, what Please. words of inspiration would you like to share with the Triple Black community? 
hey, everybody's doing cool stuff on whatever level every day. And every day that you get outside and do something cool is a, is a win. When I was paragliding across the U.S. a few years ago, I met this old rancher out in the middle of nowhere, landed my paraglider there. And he's like, what the hell are you doing, boy? And I was like, oh, I'm flying my glider across the U.S. He's like, no way. We got to talking. And he said that um, how he looked at it, every day that you spent outside was a day that God didn't take off your, your life. He got kind of a bonus day. And he'd spent a lot of his life outside fishing and hunting and working the land in one way or another. And I think he was like 98 or something and going strong. And he looked at what I was doing and said, but he thought it qualified. So I, I like that idea that every day you spend outside is a day you get to live fully and uh, doesn't get taken off your count. So <laughs> that'd be my advice. Go outside, have blood, and see out there. That's so awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much, Will. And I wish you all the best of luck and please be safe. It'd be great to uh, connect with you maybe next year and have this same kind of conversation and find out what you've been up to. And good luck. Likewise, you too. Just great to talk with you and live through a couple of your your adventures and hear some stories too. Go well. Right on, man. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Wow, that was an amazing conversation. Will Gad is truly inspirational. Here's one great takeaway for you. Before embarking on an adventure, especially an adventure where there's a great deal of risk and the consequences of something going wrong could prove lethal, Allow yourself to get into a negative space. A space where you play out every conceivable scenario where something could go horribly wrong so you can devise a plan or should I say a counter plan if that scenario should indeed happen. As Will Gad says, it's okay to have a positive attitude, but that doesn't lead to confidence. Confidence comes from examining everything that could go wrong. And I couldn't agree more. If I hadn't embraced this negative space, I would have died a number of times. I wouldn't be here talking to you today. So if you want to be confident, knowing you have stacked the odds in your favor, learn to embrace this negative space. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Joe Black TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.